Hello and welcome to Sounds of the 90s. Only joking. Hello, it's Happy Place, the podcast where we unpack the issues of my guest, one question at a time. Shower suits are optional. I'm Fern Cotton and today we're spending time in the company of the lovely Mr George Ezra. I get a bit coy when I'm talking about it because I get quite, um, I don't know, I really don't want to put people off the idea by being too gushy about it. You know when someone's like, you've got to watch this, you've got to watch this, you've got, and you're like, okay, well the last thing I'm going to do is watch that. (laughs) Oh, this was just such a thoughtful, honest interview and George really does lay it all out on the table, as you'd expect from a man no stranger to podcasting himself. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Okay, here's the show. how are you? I actually haven't seen you in real life for a long time. I know. And also, whenever I did see you, it like comes with a barrel of nerves because there'll be some kind of like lights, camera, action or worse, the live lounge, which would always... Yeah, torturous. Of, yeah, absolutely. Um, Awful for any artist. I mean, amazing after, but the before bit... I think I kind of took it for granted when I was there and thought, this is what these guys do. But actually, on a human level, that is a scary ass thing to do. I think so, because it's... I don't know why I always... I don't know. Maybe other artists don't feel this way, but there's something about Live Lounge. I think it's because we grew up with the compilation CDs we would get. There was like a... I don't know. It was just nerve-wracking. And as a result, it still is to this day. (laughs) Good, good. And you know what? I was thinking about the first time or one of the first times I met you, it might have been the second time, was when I introduced you onto the introducing stage Mm. at Glastonbury, I think in 2013. Is that right? I'll believe you if you say that. It will be around then for sure. And that was a moment because the introducing stage is obviously where a lot of people go to watch people that are absolutely going to have this wonderful ascent to somewhere in the music world. And there's a lot of hype and a lot of excitement. And you had a great crowd, like a big crowd of people. Mm. You, you already have sort of cultivated a fan base, but that felt like a, a bit of a moment in your career, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, there's, an all, there's a lot of the things that I've been a part of or been involved in they have this way of kind of blending into one thing. So it's like periods of time become memories instead of it, like individual like moments. But then yeah. there's things like that where I distinctly remember walking from my mum's to the train station to get... And I got the train down to Glastonbury and I remember 
that journey, I remember setting up my tent. There's an awful lot around it that I remember from that mm. from that weekend. And I remember waking up. I think I performed on the Sunday. And I remember waking up on Saturday night at, say, like 4am. And I had obviously dreamt that it was time to wake up and just started to get ready. Like, started to like <laughs> get, get up in my tent and be like, okay, where's everything? And then checked the time and was like, oh my God, it's like, just chill out. Because those things... Mind you, there would have been a lot of people still awake. You could have performed to, I, so it would have been fine. 4am means nothing at Glastonbury. Well, that's why I kind of went down on Thursday night to get any kind of parties out the way Thursday and Friday. Saturday, yeah, I could yeah, look yeah. after myself. But saying that, I find it quite hard to kind of see myself as a part of these things. I forget that it's a part of my life, if that makes sense. So I'm, I'm kind of six months off tour. And the idea, I saw a clip of me playing a, a festival from last summer. And I'm just like, who is that? Like, what? Mm. I, I, I don't know what happens to me to get me up there. Or I kind of remember I, I relate it. to that. I get yeah. it. I, I totally get I mean, I think that's a very healthy way to think because... As soon as that sort of thing starts ultimately defining you, that's where I guess the ego gets involved. And you are the person that is adored by millions. You are the person that can stop traffic. You know, you are this sort of shiny being. But I think the way that you're describing it and the way you navigate your career is that there's the you, which is George in your house, who's got a tub of batteries. And then there's <laughs> the other version of you, which is able to, to, to do that and to perform. So I, I I think that's a very healthy way of thinking about it. Over the course of an album's life and the span of a record, so my name is George Barnett and my stage name is George Ezra, and say that the record lasts 18 months, I do feel you're, I'm introduced to people more as George Ezra in those 18 months, and it, it becomes, there does become a bit of an identity thing of, oh, I can't remember the last time I was just... George just George. Yeah, yeah, just George. And like, that's partly why I love and sink back into home life so easily. Cause I just, well, and you must yeah. have at the moment because we can't bloody go anywhere. I mean, how, you are fully in George Barnett mode at the moment, I'm imagining. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think something I'm aware of is that this whole experience and this period of time is going to be testing for everybody for different reasons. And I can be empathetic with everybody but I can't really appreciate what it is people are going through in different scenarios um you know I, the, the the thing that I'm finding a challenge and I'm sure people will relate to this is I'm isolating alone so I'm in my fifth week of yeah it's tough well that's there's two ways I can look at it I can either see it as a bit of a test like we'll just make the most of it and see yeah. what good can come from this um, but then I was on the phone to my mum yesterday and she was like, you know, because she's isolating alone as well. We're quite a tactile family. There's hugs and there's, you know, I don't know. And the, the, she was like, I really miss that. And I hadn't thought mm. about it. And you go, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see everyone. But then mm. there's this world that I'm not a part of before either of this whole, I'm on the phone ringing people all day. And before this, I would never have done that. Same. Oh, George, I have, you know, it is well known in my group. I do not speak on the phone. I almost have like a phobia about 
talking on the phone. I, I, I hate it so much. I can't even pinpoint what. I've hated it since I was a kid when my mum used to go, Nan's on the phone, you've got to have a chat. I'd be like, oh, yeah. I don't want to. Which I feel awful about now because I miss my Nan's dearly. Yeah. But I've just always hated it. But at the moment, I'm never bloody off the thing because... Yeah. We all want that connection. So for you, because you're isolating on your own, you need it. And for me, I've got kids screaming at me all day and I need adult conversation mm. desperately. So mm. I think we're all reaching out in that way. So so for you, the, and like you say, you know, the challenge is different for everyone. It, and, and I don't think that you need to necessarily reduce your own experience because we know others are having a worse time. I think, you know, all of our feelings are still valid and... And as long as we're grateful, we can get some perspective. But I think, you know, for me, the challenge is certainly being around people 24-7, unless I'm having these quiet oasis periods of recording a podcast, which, let me tell you, is the joy of my day. (laughs) Um, Versus what you're going through, and likewise my brother and my cousin, where you are completely on your own, where Mm. you've got a lot more time, not even to think, but for stuff to come up. And I wonder Mm. for you what that might be. What has sort of come up that... Because you've got the space now, you're not distracted by tour or or recording. Yeah, so there's two parts of that. There's... I've done a really good job and always do a really good job of distracting myself. So almost as soon as I'm awake, I will have a podcast on or I will have an album on or I will have the news on. Um, And that's always been that way. Mm. But there are days where I go to bed and I listen to stuff to fall asleep to. And I'm like, whoa, you've not been in your thoughts today. Which, on the one hand, I think can be a good thing. But for myself, I feel as if that's, I don't know, not always the right way to Uh. go about it. So one thing I did a few weekends ago was deliberately just did one day of no screens. So just wake up. I turned my phone off at, say, 1am, 2am and woke up and had just 24 hours and I read and I sang and I played guitar and I I thought about people and I, I thought about the things you, you think about. You're, you're forced to confront things. And, yeah. it, and so this is, on my second album, I focused so much on writing songs about escaping and dreaming and taking yourself away and celebrating the idea of, you know, you can you know, afford yourself this time of forgetting things. But then in reality, over the period of that record, just on a personally, I learned that actually long term, the best thing I can be doing is confronting these things. And I have to see things as either short term or long term, you know, benefits. So the short term confronting things is uncomfortable it's daunting it's scary often I find out things about myself I don't necessarily love oh yeah I've been there but I have moments now having committed to that where I have little flashes of like thank god I'm doing this actually because it's I do feel better for it have you got any examples from even this lockdown period where you thought you know, because I know my my main one this whole period has been um, how much I often uh, 
relate how much I've achieved in a day to feeling happy. So if I haven't <laughs> yeah. achieved much, I assume that I have to go on some massive downer. And that's, of course, not true. That's something that I've established for myself and, and it's now become a sort of a bad cycle of thought, like a pattern of thought that I could lose. So I've had to relook really at that because there's some days where I can't do anything apart from feed my kids, they want another snack, play Lego, they're doing some homeschooling. You get to the end of the day, and obviously I've achieved in that sense, but I like to also be creative and and reach goals and tick things off lists. And when I can't, I find it so frustrating. So I've had to really look at that. And I wonder if you've had anything that, that has become apparent to you in this time. When you said that, I kind of chuckled at first because that's... It, exactly how I identify mm. it's not in anyone else's life if a friend rings me up and says I've spent the day on the sofa watching oh, Netflix same, give a shit. I'm like oh amazing what did you watch <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. If, if I consider sitting down and putting the TV on it any I'm like you're wasting your time you are you know you're not achieving what could you be doing with this time but then I make what myself do things that eh, not, I would rather be on the sofa you know, yeah, I know. That, anyway the, 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 I think one thing I've realized is the love that I have in my life that I take for granted and what I mean by that is a lot of when I talk about the phone calls I'm having and the conversations I'm having it's me realizing there's a balance of there's a selfish element and it's because I need company but then there's also this thing of like oh no that person will need to be venting and I it's made me realize or it's made me think how often do I pick up the phone to somebody for them? How often do I think, oh, I'll just check in with that person over how often do I think I'm in a tight spot, I need to talk to somebody? Mm, and it's made me think, just, yeah. I um, And I am famously the shittest person at being in touch with people. So like, <laughs> it's made me go like, and one thing that that's really good at made me do is take stock of, right, well, who is it that you want to, instead of casting the net really wide and having really sporadic kind of half ass conversations with everyone, why not have really kind of meaningful conversations with a small group of people. Maybe. I totally agree because I think at the moment it is small moments that feel really big because we can't see each other and do much. You know, it is. And I've sort of done the same, I think, without really realising it, that I'm not on house party and all that stuff anymore. I tried it for like a day and was like, whoa, I cannot have <laughs> people popping up on my phone when I don't want them to. Like, it was terrifying. So now I've like <clears throat> definitely distinguish this group that I know like some people in my life are having a really shit time at the moment so I am trying to check in with them daily and that feels really nice and very important and I'm trying to do that send little voice notes and I think they and the same you know I've got good friends who always check in with me and I think it does it does mean a lot one um one way of us really understanding and uh, what you're what you're sort of illustrating with that is the fact that we can hear some of your phone conversations on your latest podcast. So you've got mm. this new podcast, uh, Phone a Friend, where it's you and your mate Ollie, and you are you literally just having a phone call. We found ourselves in this really bizarre situation because as isolation was kicked in and as it was obvious that the virus was something far bigger than any of us thought, there was a lot of focus online about make sure you're in touch with people. And me and Ollie were like, well, hang on. 
we started this podcast in yeah, January. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it just felt so... Well, this is incarnate. This is what the show is. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we started... Ollie and I went to school together and we've known each other since we were 16. And Ollie lives in Barcelona. And Ollie is one of, if not the person I would check in with for both of our sakes. For a long time now, just... And both similar experiences, uh, but at the same time, as is always the way really different and varied experiences and there was kind of a conversation would you feel comfortable about recording our conversations and there was an open conversation between the two of us of like this will only work if we're honest we don't feel kind of intimidated by the fact there's a microphone in front of us when we take the phone call and what became really obvious really quickly even after a few weeks in it was you forget about that because of our relationship Mm. and I think that I would say that 70% of the show is two friends being silly and making one another laugh. And that's how we would do it regardless if we were recording it or not. I think the way that we approach the conversations, both of us are interested in kind of mental well-being and how, how you can help yourself and help others. But the way we would always approach that is by making one another laugh. Is there a sort of a deeper motivation for you with this? Because... Obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a privilege for people that already know and love you and just interesting to outsiders to hear two genuine friends have a conversation. There's a lot that can be taken from it. But I wonder for you if there has been a deeper motivation to sort of show that, especially for men, it is very important that to know you can pick up the phone to another male friend and discuss emotions because I know that sounds very old-fashioned of me to sort of call that out but there is still stigma around how men are depicted and how they're you know allowed to show their emotions and how they might convey them to one another and I know that you've talked about that previously with all the brilliant work you do for mind but was that you know a conscious part of your decision making? Yeah Somewhere down the line, yes. I don't think it was our thing of like... Because I can just tell you from my own experiences with my group of friends, men find it hard to talk about these things. Now, I am, and will put my hands up and describe myself as somebody that's quite sensitive and open. Once I'm trusting of someone, it's kind of... I don't mind telling people and talking to people... Just in my group of friends, if I picture us even this Christmas or at the pub, there's this thing that I always say for, in my circle, it's kind of, there's this thing that happens after two pints, say, where people start to go like, oh, this thing happened and, and it's really productive. But then naturally it goes, oh, it's my round. I'll go and grab another beer. And after another one or two pints, that moment's lost. Mm. And often what will happen is the next day, if you say, oh, Last night you mentioned so-and-so. Do you want to talk about it? Ah, no, it's all right. Don't don't worry. You know, and then what will happen is you meet up again, two pints in, it comes up again. And it's, I I recognise that. I'm not saying that's the, you know, that's happening everywhere, but I am, that certainly is something I see. And I think that instead of the, the kind of motive being, lads, you need to pick up the phone and talk to your friends about deep shit. And da-da. it's like, no, well, actually, just 
picking up the phone and chatting is where to start. I, d- I yeah. don't think you need to have any answers. <clears throat> that there's not at any point to me and Ollie. We don't have any answers for anyone listening, really. We just have what we can support one another with. Um, and then it, something that I'm really happy we kind of started, and it's is we have emails at the end of the show from people listening. And the thing I've been most amazed by or kind of comforted by is the amount that I'm learning from people's emails in. So we mm. only really get to read two or three a show, but the the amount that we get in and the like spectrum of them. I don't wake up in the morning and want to talk publicly about mental health is the truth. I, I don't, don't think like, anyone does. <laughs> no, I don't. But it's, it, that seems a bit like rich. Like, well, what are you doing then? You know, you started your own podcast. You're going on. What, what is it about? And for me, it's the moments I've had where I've either read something or heard something that somebody else has said that I relate to, that I hadn't heard before, whether it be at home, at school, with friends, the eureka moments and the inspiration from it and the the strength I've got from that at times as well is a real catalyst for me bothering to do it. And not in a superhero way, but I think to myself, well, if there's a lad that's 14 that's listening and is experiencing the same things I am now and was then, it might save them. I think know. it's hugely helpful. I, I mean, I, I completely agree on everything because I certainly don't profess to be an expert in anything, but I think talking as uncomfortable as it initially is, and like you say, you don't wake up thinking, oh, I can't wait to tell everybody about how I had a great panic attack at 2am or whatever, but I think it is offering that solace to other people and, um, and that feels like a, a wonderful connection. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So specifically your Achilles heel, and I've had a very similar experience in a lot of ways, has been anxiety and living with that. Um, How does that physically manifest for you if you are experiencing it? I think I need to take like rewind a little bit. So I started to write between my first two records... I started to feel something that I was new to me and I started to write about it and the word I put to it was anxiety. I just, I didn't, and this is another part of why I think talking's great, it's just the vocabulary of like, yeah. well, what are these things? And I almost regret saying that. And the only reason I initially spoke about it was because it was obvious to me it was a theme on the record. Like I said, it's this escaping, but what is it you are trying to escape? And it's this thing. But I wish I hadn't spoken about it in a way because I didn't know what I was talking about. And as I've already said, I don't know what I'm talking about massively now. But but, uh, because I spoke about it, it was I then said, well, you need to you need to know what it is you're talking about. I don't like there's a reason that I don't often talk or at all talk publicly about politics 
is because although I have opinions, I don't know. You know, I have thoughts, but I don't have anyone to offer anything to offer people on it. But I don't think you have to know anything, do you? Because... I mean, like most people, like when I had my first panic attack, I didn't know what it was. I just thought, oh, my God, I'm dying. What is happening? And then I went and saw a doctor, had my heart tested, all this stuff. And it wasn't until a few months later where the words panic and attack were put together. And I had no clue. And I think that's it's lovely to hear you say that in a sense, because I think a lot of people don't know how to distinguish what they're experiencing and they feel bizarre putting a title to it or whatever so I think it's good that you did it even though you didn't feel well versed in it necessarily I I agree but because it what that I did the exact same thing it was like well next time it arose like really got intense it was you need to go and see somebody yeah there, there comes a point where you you I had to put my hands up and go this isn't going to end well if you leave yourself to your own devices and as a result, I learned that although a symptom of it was that I felt anxious at times, the actual the issue was these obsessive thought patterns, and which comes under the umbrella of OCD. And I find it really bizarre labelling these things, but that's what it is. And as soon as I heard about there's this Hollywood moment in my memory where um, I was doing research for somebody that I was going to be interviewing, and it said online somewhere about uh OCD so I was my girlfriend at the time was like helping me research and she said oh and I said oh can you just read about what that is and she started to read the symptoms and in my Hollywood memory of it I started to cry and was like that's what this is that that's everything that you've just said is and it's not the reason it got more intense I think between the two records Although it's something I now recognise throughout my life, it's like the obsessive thoughts got a bit more adult and they got a bit more... Um, as a kid, they were a bit more fantastical. And even, like it's, although they were intrusive and repetitive, there was an element of... Well, they're just kind of annoying more than yeah. anything. And then it was as if my brain realised, well, the whole point of this is that I'm testing you. So if you want to be tested try this and it would like throw in something that was and it would often be if not violent or taboo or obtrusive yeah and always testing my moral yeah i've had i've had the same same. it's horrendous but but the the bizarre thing is it's how i know my brain through life Mm. so there's this one thing of like you know i talk to people now trying to help myself like well how do i go about this how do I manage this but I almost feel as if I'm talking like is there a world where this doesn't like I can't imagine a mind without it I mean I'm sure you've tried all sorts of practical things or or stuff that changes you might have implemented to your life but have you found anything that helps reduce it or to or helps dissipate it when you when it's really not a good time to be experiencing that at the minute I'm learning about it and I'm trying to implement what I'm learning but throughout life, it's come and gone in waves of intensity. And at the minute, I'm going through a really good spell of it, right? 
Now, I don't know if that's because of what I'm learning or because it's just one of these dips in it. So what I'm doing now is kind of making the most of this opportunity. And whilst I'm able to articulate what it is without being in the eye of the storm. Because what happened last time was I got to complete meltdown, kind of panic stations, and then started to seek help. But I don't know how practical that was because I don't know where, I don't know even if I was in the room at any point. Um, that's so interesting because I, I, I often do the same that if I'm struggling I'll reach out for help or mm. I'll you know sometimes I speak to a counsellor or I'll, I'll try and reach out to someone that I know that will give good advice but it's it's often more useful to do that when you're feeling good well it's you know, like I'm sure we've all got those friends that get a bit ill and start taking vitamins and you're like well that's not really how it works mate it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've kind of realised that and so yeah I've started to dig around now which I'm finding really beneficial and again the reason like I'm kind of there's blurred lines about what is worthwhile me talking about and what isn't it's it's never that I want to go this is my story and da 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 you know it's more well can someone else relate to this and would this be of use them hearing this the thing that I've done that I do daily now and that I love and I love outside of any intrusive thoughts I love for a load of different reasons is this meditation Mm. and I I get a bit coy when I'm talking about it because I get quite um I don't know I really don't want to put people off the idea by being too gushy about it you know when someone's like you've got to watch this you've got to watch this you've got and you're like okay well the last thing I'm going to do is watch that (laughs) wicked (laughs) cheers because I'm never going to enjoy it as much as you seem to enjoy it yeah the hype is real and that's kind of how I feel about this meditation and I also find it I don't want to belittle anything I don't want to come on here and go like yeah, so if you meditate, like everything's better because people are like, yeah, 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 get off it, mate. But that, like that, yeah. But yeah. I, but it is, but like historically, we know it helps. You know, I, I'm, I dip in and out of it. I, I, it's been harder during lockdown because there's literally no time to even take a pee without <laughs> the toilet with yeah. me. But you know, I do notice that when I do it, I, I do, I benefit from it massively. You know. It's, it, historically, we know it works, but we always think it can't be that easy. Or what? I haven't got time for this, but I've definitely got time to like watch a whole <laughs> yeah, yeah, box yeah, yeah. set of House of Cards or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So I think we do reduce its its power and its potency. But for you, that one works. Yeah. So I, like, I've learned this meditation where I get I've got a mantra, which is just like a sound that isn't a word I know. If that makes sense, I can't relate it yeah. to anything. Yeah. And for twenty minutes. I close my eyes and repeat it. I don't have to sit in any particular position. I don't have to... I just sit down and repeat it in my mind. And now the way I see it is that any intrusive thoughts or any worrying that I do is it's either worrying about something that might happen or something that has happened. And And neither of those things are happening while I'm having the thoughts. So then... The way I kind of relate to this mantra is that it's just reminding me to come back to where I am. And so every time I repeat it, it doesn't feel like, you know, I don't come out of a meditation and like 
feel superhuman. I think it's more the like benefits day to day. And I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I get a bit smiley when I talk about it and a bit like blushed about it because I just think, well, yeah, I really don't want to put people off it. The idea of of trying it, but you I would, won't do but that. I really would suggest. That. Yeah, but there's this whole thing of like fucking pop star meditates, wicked. Yeah, that's relatable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like there's this whole like. I, I, <laughs> Look, I know what you mean, but I totally know what you mean, and I know it's like I I know I know the cliche. I know what you mean, but I do think it is one of those things that if we can try and make it sound really normal and not like you know some you know kind of weird hippie activity that is only accessible to some people you know it is free and you don't have to understand i think people get put off because it seems scary like i don't know what it is i don't know how to do it but yeah. the, uh, you know i i can't do what you do or i ha- certainly haven't been disciplined enough to try i do the odd affirmation but i find guided meditations either on yeah. youtube or there's a podcast which i wang on about all the time called gabba which is guided meditations and that for me works like, and mm. I don't I'm not doing the thing I don't I haven't learned how to do it I'm just listening to someone else talk me through it and I think it's making it as accessible as possible to people because it is free and available to any of us if if we so choose and if we need it and there's no harm in trying do you know what I mean but yeah have you ever like done one of those kind of sleep scans where it's like Yes, I love a sleep scan. Well, a yoga nidra sleep scan. <laughs> yeah, of so course like, I have, George. I've tried it all. Yeah, yeah, but like, there's the. I always find in the past when I've done these sleep scans, for the first minute, first two minutes, the voice in my head is going, "What are you doing, mate?" Just <laughs> like just. But then something happens where it's like, no, you just have to wave the white flag and go. This yeah. is helping me relax. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like, I always think if it wasn't called meditation, if it was called quiet time, or if it was called, you know, if it, the way that I think we relate to words kind of can be a hindrance at yeah, times. Yeah, I hear you. But yeah, I love it. There mm, you go. I'm so glad. That's, that's, that's a wonderful thing to hear. One thing I've been wanting to ask you that I'm always fascinated about with people is how they operate and, and how they get creative and how they get into a creative space. And one pattern that I've certainly seen emerge with you over the years from knowing what I did when I first met you and when I was interviewing then and, and then seeing you go on and, and write more songs and even with the podcast now, this is an assumption that I'm making, but it seems like, so say using this as an example, when you wrote Staying at Tamara's, you took yourself off you could have written that album anywhere in the world. You had a record label behind you and you decided to go and stay in a stranger's house uh, with a bunch of people that you, you didn't know to sort of put yourself in a new environment. And it seems like for your creativity to thrive, perhaps you need to be on the edge of your comfort zone. Would you say that's correct? Edge of my comfort zone suggests that like, I want to go skydiving and stuff, which I really don't. <laughs> I don't at all. And but it's like, not comfortable to stay in a stranger's house. Like, I can't think of anything I'd rather not do. I'd be thinking, oh, my God, do I have my own toilet? When do they eat dinner? Because I like to go to bed really early. I would be absolutely <laughs> yeah. panicked about the whole scenario. Well, I can tell you, I didn't have my own toilet. Oh, and, Lord, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> but then that's just, I think that's a difference in character and personality. Because to me... Like, I feel really fortunate to be in the position that I'm in, right? And that, like, what does that mean? That means that I feel really fortunate that I get to write and perform music. I love that. Um, 
But the thing that I think is often overlooked is that what any success I've had has afforded me is the fact that any creative ideas I have, I can at least try. And because often what gets in the way of creative ideas is time for people. Yeah. And there's also the more like looming thing of like financial barriers of like, well, that that's a really good idea. But how do you do it? And so I've got this opportunity where I can I can experience new things. And I, and I I think it would be like a, a liberty not to do those, like to try them out. It's almost like a, if you've got this opportunity to do these things, you better do them, George, because it's you're lucky to be able to. I think that there's there's this constant thing in my life of testing myself. Yeah. So I hear that one. Yeah, and I personally I don't know where the testing of myself where it starts to become unhealthy and where it's Mm. healthy. I I don't... I'm somebody that was particularly hyperactive as a kid and couldn't entertain myself for longer than five minutes up until even a year ago, you know. Um, (laughs) Thank God you sorted that before lockdown. (laughs) Well, this is it. Like, (laughs) you know, one conversation I had with my sister, maybe a week or two ago, she was like, Look, there is a way of you coming home and you not breaking any, you don't have to come into contact with anybody and you could still be isolating here. And I said, yeah, but I'm doing fine. And she said, George, this isn't one of your tests, is it? Mm. Like you don't, because you're not proving anything to anyone. And I, I had to say, honestly, it's not. Like I've, I, um, there's also, for, and I should, there's a, another truth on top of why I do these things for, for albums and I've got another one planned for this next album okay. but that I should have left about two weeks ago. So whether or not it will end up happening, okay. we don't know. But is because there are probably too many floppy-haired male singer-songwriters in the world, as it is. And there's too many interviews, I would say, of what's this song about? Well, it's either she loves me, she loves me not. That's just the way the world is. Yes, yeah, so you're writing and about staying fun. in tomorrow's house and you haven't got your own loo. I, I love but that. It's also, it, but it's also, it connects something when I sit down to talk to people about records. Yeah. It's like, well, actually I did this thing and then there's all these stories yeah, around. Yeah, lovely. And a song. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there is the testing element. There's the fact that I know that I can always come home if it's completely bonkers. Um, the one that really kind of so on the second record as well, I, I went and stayed in this cabin in Norfolk um, for ten days. But the catch was it has no electricity, oh, right? Gosh. So it's this it's this cabin. But there's like a beautiful roll top bath in the cabin. But you have to light a fire to heat the water to fill the bath. What a right? palaver! Uh, but, 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 the whole, but the whole like it's advertised as like a couple's weekend retreat. Like you can leave the city. And go and have these two days where, you know, and and I remember ringing up and saying, like, can I, I see that it's free for these 10 days, can I book it? And they were like, I mean, we've never had anyone for longer than two days. And we've certainly never had anyone alone. I think there was a bit of, like, on the other end of the phone of, is everything yeah, okay? Is Are you guy? all right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I find it changes the way I think. It slows me down. But I love that because, you, you know, you are at a stage of your career and success where you could be a bit complacent if you wanted and I don't mean that 
in a negative way. I mean, it, you know, you could you could just go, yeah, I'm going to record it on a, you know, in Hawaii and stay in a sick hotel and. You know, you could kind of do that. So I find it really interesting that you're still searching for those narratives, but also, like you say, you're sort of testing yourself. Do you think, is that element of testing yourself? Because, I, again, I, I really relate to to that part of your personality. I, I constantly try to push myself in new ways and and learn new stuff. And I don't often know if I'm trying to prove it to myself or to other people or a bit of both. Would you describe that as your drive, do you think? Honestly, I still don't know what my drive is. Because one thing I've learned is that I don't love being recognisable. And what's my drive? Creative, creativity is a drive, but then I don't know. It's only the same drive I've always known, which is just that I enjoy yeah. it. So that's like more of a, like, a love for something. I don't know. This is a good example, though. For the first single I released for my second record, didn't do as well as I was hoping, right? And before that point... I'd always given it the big one of like, well, this just exists. This lasts for as long as it lasts. And, you know, when it's my time, it's fine. You know, da, da. but I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not ready to like let go of the size venues we're playing and the, the audiences and the festival bookings. And I had to say to my manager, like, I'm going to do everything it takes for the next singles to do as well as they can. And that was like a huge test of how big can you make a record Mm. but at the same time as that on paper there was a lot of boxes ticked there was a lot of like on paper this is amazing but it was the most miserable I've been wow so that, interesting but then yeah. that's a really good lesson to learn at yeah. 25 26 of like okay well that's not the answer that's not where the answer lies yeah yeah I love that though because again we always reach these things expecting to feel a certain way and that doesn't always equate I mean very often it doesn't which is as you say it's a wonderful lesson for all of us to learn at some point actually you know I'm what, sorry George? if I'm waffling by the way are you I've, kidding I've, me well I've... first of all that's exactly what my podcast is all about <laughs> okay. um and secondly you're saying so many wonderful things what I want to quickly do before we end is um get Rex to come and say hi because oh yeah uh, he as I've told you before loves your music and he would love to and he's really He's so musical. Like since I saw you, I think it was a couple of Christmas or the Christmas before last. He is so good on the piano. It's, he's seven now, and he's so good. He can play. He can play by ear. So he hears something and play it. And for me, he's not musical. I'm just like, oh my god. But yeah, but that's really impressive. And also, piano is definitely the instrument to learn. I Look, George is here. Do you want to say hello? You can put these headphones on, and then you'll be able to hear George's voice. Hello, Rex. Hello. How are you, mate? Good. How are you finding it being locked in? Um, very, uh, basically, like, I miss my friends a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But there's the other, you know, there'll be how exciting it'll be when you get to see them all again. Yeah. What will you do with them when you see them all? Mm, basically, like, play with them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm the same when I see my friends. Yeah. And what have you been doing to keep busy? Uh, basically... Um, just doing lots of Lego and building lots of Lego ships. Yeah. Do you know what? I don't know if I'll have a picture of it. I'll send your mum a picture of it. But I once, last year, I built a Lego bridge, one of London's bridges. It was amazing. I'll have to, you'll have to see a picture of it. It's very cool. Always oh, honey getting upset. Oh, God. Honey. You can come and say hi. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, we've got an upset. <laughs> no, I don't want to. Barbara, here. quickly come and say hi to Georgian. Do you want to say hi quickly? Georgian. Sorry? You quickly come and say hi really quick before George has to go. Quickly come. So you're not sad. This is George. <laughs> say hi, George. No. Hi. Hi. Oh. It's high emotions in our house, George. <laughs> yeah. Um It's completely bonkers. Look, um... I cannot thank you enough for your time. It's been so lovely catching up and having such a, a wonderful discussion with you. And, um, and I think what you're doing is brilliant. And I love listening to your podcasts. And, um, and I can't wait to hear new music whenever you might get to be inspired and record that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Fern. And um, yeah, do you know what? It'd be awesome to, to do something like this again after I've done the next kind of trip away it'd be cool just to chat through things then and see you know if and what has changed um but yeah thank you very much pleasure i agree i think we're going through so much a huge seismic shift all of us and you know none of us know when the end is or what it looks like so let's definitely catch back up at some point and um and keep doing what you're doing george yeah thank you friend Thank you, George. Oh, so lovely to have some quality time with you. I just really enjoyed that chat. Thanks so much. And also, thanks to Honey and Rex. You know, I I at times think that podcasting is my small escape from my family life. But oh no, not on that occasion. It's very cute. George's new podcast, Phone a Friend, is available every Monday. Do go check it out. And if you haven't yet, why not subscribe to Happy Place and get new episodes of this show every Monday, straight to your phone, plus all of our past episodes available at the touch of a touchscreen. You can do that for free on your podcast app of choice too. Massive thanks again to George, who was in London at home chatting to me to producer Matt Hill who is working from home with his kids in tow also during lockdown he's at Rethink Audio and to you for listening stay safe you lovely people I adore you I'll see you soon take it easy